Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I am one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here today. So today we are given a little bit of an overview about what's going on regarding the state of abortion. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to hit on a couple topics on how the current administration and the makeup of Congress is devaluing life. So we'll talk about the abortion agenda, and then we'll talk about how they're also devaluing women. So it's a women and children's episode this, this time around. And this really goes hand in hand with the, the episodes that we've already recorded this season. If you remember, you know, we've done one on the Equality Act and, and really how the Equality Act is harmful to women. Um, we also talked about uh, big tech censorship and big tech censorship is really related to this, which is just crazy. And we'll talk about that in the episode. Um, so it's just. Huh. Yeah, everything's just like weaving itself <laughs> together. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and this is why Eagle Forum takes on so many issues because mm-hmm. everything affects everything. I think Phyllis Schlafly had said, what doesn't affect the family? And so each of these bills that are passed in Congress is going to affect you and your family. Let, even if it's just like a complete men's bill, for example, or uh, maybe it's a bill that Um, doesn't involve your race or your religion, Um, it still affects you in the broader sense of you have friends, you have maybe family members who fall under that category, and it affects the economy, our national security. It's much bigger, much more complex than, Mm -hmm. than what you would think. And so that's why we want to get you interested in all of these different issues. All right, so let's start, Tabitha, with um, Biden's abortion agenda and what the president has done specifically so far. Now, we're not quite at that 100-day mark, but he's made quite the um, the work towards his anti-life agenda. So yeah, you guys know. <laughs> yeah, by himself, which is pretty crazy. Um, and now this week, he's having some help from Congress. But so let's see here. So he's enacted a couple executive orders and presidential proclamations um, that really affect abortion in terms of government funding. So the first one is he revoked the Mexico City policy, which is uh, as a policy that Democrats and, and anti-life people like to call the global gag rule. And this is something that President Trump reinstituted um, when he took office. And what it did is it says that no federal funds can be used to fund abortion abroad. And some people are like, wait, we fund abortion abroad? Yes, we do. Um, These are funds that can go to places like Planned Parenthood International. Uh, Another example is Marie Stokes International. And so what they do is they use this money from the government for family planning services, which is just a guise for abortion. Um, Another thing that he did is he undid President Trump's ban on promotion of abortion from Title X grantees and also um, rescinded the ban on funds going to clinics that also provide abortion services. So these are really um, regulatory measures that can be flipped over and if we get another president, presidential administration that is pro-life. But it is disappointing because President Trump made some great steps forward in the pro-life movement in terms of federal funding. Mm-hmm. 
So this week, in terms of congressional movement, there's a couple things that we are watching closely, and it's been very disappointing. So you may remember a couple weeks ago, this was probably end of January, early February, all the dates kind of mingle and we've done so much, but um, we talked a little bit about the Hyde Amendment and how the Hyde Amendment is a 40-year bipartisan amendment that has been attached to any appropriations bill that ensures that no federal funds are being used to fund abortion. So like the Mexico, City's, Mexico City policy, but it's for um, the domestic states. And um, the Democrats have been very vocal that this is something that they want to get rid of. Uh, now, this, is, this is kind of a new issue, right? Because Democrats <clears throat> have previously supported the Hyde yes. Amendment. Yeah. And even um, the ones who have been in Congress since, you know, the prehistoric times, like is 20 years ago, they supported the Hyde Amendment then, and now they're speaking out against the Hyde Amendment. How well, President Biden was a longtime supporter of the Hyde Amendment too. So it's just interesting how they flip. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so at the end of last Congress, they made it clear that this was on the chopping block and Biden's big COVID relief bill that is going through the House that is almost $2 trillion has no Hyde protections in it. And so that's very disappointing because Hyde is supposed to be bipartisan. Um, so we'll see if maybe in the Senate it'll get put back in there. President Biden hasn't indicated that he will not sign the bill if there's not Hyde protections in it. I would hope that he would say that because he has supported Hyde in the past, but I guess that's probably a pipe dream. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I do have a question. <laughs> yes. So what can we expect if the Hyde Amendment is not in there, like any protections? Are we going to see something move really fast? Um, will HHS start moving? What, what do you predict? Well, I predict that this will get people fired up. There was a poll that was released in January of 2021 that says nearly 60% of Americans actually oppose taxpayer funding of abortion. Um, so, I, I mean, I just, I would hope that people would be like, wait, what is going on? But in terms of actual practical steps, I think that it's important for us to note that um, this will have a triple down effect. So it's specifically in this COVID bill, it's estimated that $414 billion will be, will be a maybe used to fund abortion. Um, and so then from there, if there's no hide, there's not gonna be hide in any other bill that's gonna be passed related to government funding. So we can definitely see like what you said, Tabitha, um, HHS starting to remove Hyde Amendment protections in their rulemaking. Um, we can see when they start doing their appropriations bill for fiscal year, what is it, 2022, there'll be no Hyde protections. And that is just going to be, I think, unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just so our listeners know, um, obviously we we've said a million times what to do when there is a bill in Congress. Um, you can contact your congressman. Mm -hmm. We have things set up already, so we make it really easy for you. There's also a way to contact agencies like HHS, and they have a portal. So every time they um, implement a new rule, mm -hmm. or if, like, if they have to take hide protections out of a rule and um, you know, do something new, you can comment on that 
the same way that you can comment to your congressman. Yeah. And so you may see some of that coming from us um, as that rolls out. Um, but you can also just go onto the HHS website and they have that available for you as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, this is an opportunity for us to really push on uh, President Biden. Um, while he was a senator from Delaware, he actually wrote to a constituent about funding for abortion. And he said in this letter that a law against funding for abortion would, quote, protect both the woman and her unborn child, unquote. And then, you know, it, it's just, we need to remind him of this sentiment that he had. Um, and really, why has he been so pressured by the, by the liberals and the anti-life Democrats mm -hmm. to really be so aggressive in abortion policy? Americans don't want to use their taxpayer dollars to spend on abortion. Right. He knows mm -hmm. that. And yeah. I think he's been touting his Catholic faith a lot um, recently. And, um, you know, the Catholic faith is very clear on life. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's another way to say, hey, um, if you're practicing a faith that upholds the value of life, you also need to uphold it in your administration yeah. as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there have been some nominees coming down the pike in the Senate, um, and one of them who's highly controversial is Xavier Becerra, who um, is nominated to head up HHS. And this is very dangerous for a lot of reasons, and I'll let Kirsten go into those details, but um, we have already taken action to oppose his nomination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw, we joined onto a coalition letter that was actually led by the Susan B. Anthony list um, that went out this week with over 60 pro-life organizations advocating against his uh, nomination through the Senate. And, and we did this because Becerra is severely anti-life. He's from California and he has voted against measures um, like a bipartisan ban on those gruesome partial birth abortions, um, the popular five month abortion ban and protections for babies that are born alive after a failed abortion attempt. So these are all things that we have been advocating for at the federal level. We see this in, in, in bills like the Pain Capable Act that we have so um, aggressively advocated for, just even a vote on the House and Senate floor. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, he has forced taxpayers to pay for abortion on demand to help fund the abortion industry. And really, California has coerced pro-life people of faith and conscience to be complicit in abortions through their health care. Um, an example of this is, is like the Little Sisters of the Poor. And they have been to the Supreme Court multiple times fighting against this. And so it is so disheartening to see this nominee come to HHS because HHS has a great or a, a very large role in shaping um, conscious protection rules for federal employees or organizations that receive federal funds. And then also shaping um, if federal tax dollars can be used for funding abortions or even things like sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was, I, in my opinion, the biggest win from the Trump administration was how HHS handled all of these type of issues and pushed forward really good stuff. And, so it just shows that that one agency can make a huge difference in our yeah. lives. 
Yeah, and we and, and Trump essentially defunded Planned Parenthood through HHS when he mandated. We mentioned this um, earlier in the episode that in order for a healthcare facility or an organization like Planned Parenthood to receive federal funding, they had to separate the abortion industry from their healthcare services. Mm-hmm. So there had to be separate accounting there. And now that's already taken away from Biden. Um, but HHS is the one who can really dictate that rulemaking. Right. So speaking of defunding Planned Parenthood, there's actually a little gift in this COVID-19 relief package that's moving through the House and Senate, and that is a $500 million fund for emergency grants for rural health care. And $500 million happens to be the same amount that was stripped away from Planned Parenthood under the Title X in under, under the Trump administration. And so, of course, Planned Parenthood does rural health care, so there is a very high chance that they'll be able to receive these grants. That's crazy. Well, <laughs> we have just given you a list of bad news, but the good news is the world doesn't always revolve around federal legislation and federal processes you can make a a big difference in your own state. And so there have been a lot of state efforts to pass pro-life bills and and make sure that um, certain states uphold the value of life. And so we just wanted to shout those out really quickly. Um, Here are some of the most recent ones. Um, South Carolina passed their heartbeat bill and it was signed by the governor. Now, keep in mind, the governor was threatened with a lawsuit from Planned Parenthood. Um, a couple of days before he signed it. And he was like, you can shove it. So <laughs> he went ahead and signed it. Moments later, it was challenged by Planned Parenthood. So it's now tied up in the courts. Um, and I think it would be a really interesting case to follow because the heartbeat bill has been somewhat controversial, especially on a federal level of if it can uphold be upheld in the courts um, just because the language and and how far it goes um, we would love for abortion to be completely dismantled um, at every level but um, it will be an interesting case to see like you know what what comes out in the courts some other wins the Oklahoma Senate also passed their heartbeat bill um, Arizona Senate passed the unborn child protection act The Arizona Senate passed their Unborn Child Protection Act, which protects a baby who is born alive after an abortion attempt. Um, Texas stripped their funding to Planned Parenthood from their Medicaid funds. So that means they essentially defunded Planned Parenthood in their state, which is awesome. And then the Kansas legislature is placing an amendment to their state constitution to remove the right to abortion on the 2022 ballot, which means the Kansas residents will be able to vote to either uphold life or not um, on their 2022 ballot, which I think is an awesome initiative. Yeah. And those are, like you said, that's exactly right. We need to remember that a lot of change can happen at the state level. And really, we don't need to worry about what happens at the federal level as long as it doesn't become law. Um, And we need to worry a lot about what's happening at the state level, because this is where we can, states can defund Planned Parenthood, states can, you know, enact heartbeat bills, states can enact an ultrasound before an abortion policy. And these are all things that help um, institute a culture of life. 
Right. And, and those issues don't get as much glory or popularity as the federal issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's hard sometimes to see what's going on at your state or local level. But we encourage you, we, we even have, Eagle Farm has state affiliations mm-hmm. that you could reach out to. Um, just go check out our website. But we have such a great opportunity right now on the state level because the majority of state legislatures have a conservative majority right now. And so while the federal world is looking bad the state legislature world isn't looking so bad and, and you can make a difference right now. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's the benefit of keeping state and federal um, policies separated. Yeah. And um, we can make a good positive difference at our state legislatures. All right, Tabitha. So speaking of abortion and women's right to abortion, let's transition into um this sphere of of women's rights related to uh, sexual orientation and gender identity and even abortion. So what are the actual rights women that are in the books right now? Well, if you listen to some people, we have no rights, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not true. And so I wanted to lay out some of those for you guys, because when you have crazy people advocating for so-called women's rights, it makes it sound like we don't have any. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, oh, we need those. But let me let me go through some of the, our um, rights that we already have. Um, we have every basic right as laid out by the constitution. We have a right to free speech, religion, to bear arms, to vote. Like we have all of those same basic rights that every other American has. So just starting there, that's our foundation. And then we've had specific protections written into law. So equal pay for equal work, family and maternity leave, women only benefits like WIC. Um, So WIC helps a lot of uh, women and children in times of need, grants for small businesses, financial aid, social security. Um, So a lot of you stay-at-home moms if, if something severe happened to your husband, you wouldn't be left behind um, financially. You would have some backup there. So there are things in place for women um, as they want to thrive in the U.S. or um, in times of need. Um, so that's really helpful that those are women-specific. Mm-hmm. We've even seen a shift culturally in this this doesn't have so much to do with policy, but with um, how we interact socially and in the workplace and things like that. Um, but we've seen this shift culturally uh, with working moms. We've seen businesses foster more of a work-life balance. Um, for instance, telework days, which I think everyone's like teleworking right now because of COVID. But even before that, there is a little more freedom of being home with your children or working from home so that you don't have to commute as much. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there have even been private spaces made available for women who need to pump or even having childcare on site. I know that a lot of these federal agencies like HHS and, and places like that around here have their own daycare centers in the buildings. Mm-hmm. So that's, 
extremely convenient and it gives you more time with your child as well. Yeah. We have a lot of great things going on right now, but we're also seeing that pendulum swing way too far on the other side. And so there's now a liberal agenda that's trying to kill those efforts under the guise of, you know, creative language and things that make us feel like, well, maybe we need more. There's been this new kind of push by feminists and, you know, conservatives alike against sexual orientation and gender identity language. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about this in our episode with Emily Cow regarding the equal or the um, Equality Act. I almost said Equal Rights Amendment, but that also does affect women. Um, So Tabitha, can you tell me a little bit about how gender ideology is shaping the narrative around women's only, not only laws, but also things that only women do like breastfeeding? Yes. And I had some funny conversations with Kirsten about this yesterday <laughs> because I did a whole deep dive into chest feeding. And so, um, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but I can tell you a lot about the anatomy of breastfeeding at this point because <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time on it yesterday. Um, but let me give you uh, an overview of why we're even bringing this up. Um, So the United Kingdom's Brighton and Sussex hospitals are embracing this new transgender language pertaining to breastfeeding. And the new word is chest feeding. Yep. Chest feeding. It's so awkward and weird for me. I'm just going to continue to shake my head, roll my eyes. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Let me read you an excerpt from an uh, article from The Atlantic. It's called What It's Like to Chest Feed. And it'll give you a little insight into like someone who wants that terminology to change. Um, And here's the quote. When Trevor McDonald started chest feeding about five years ago, he didn't know anyone who had attempted it, nor had any of his doctors ever encountered someone who had. In fact, he was shocked that his body could even produce milk. As a trans man, someone who was assigned female at birth, but had has transitioned to identifying as male, he was born with the mammary glands and milk ducts required for lactation, but he'd had his breasts removed. Okay, so there's so basically a lot. he still is a woman, is what you're. He's okay. still a biological woman, but calls himself a man. Yes. Okay. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here just from those few senses. So let's start off first with the science lesson. (laughs) When a biological woman has their breasts removed for any reason, it's called a mastectomy. And there are varying, varying degrees of how much can actually be removed. So if a woman comes in for whatever reason, um, her diagnosis could um, play a part in how much is actually removed. And it doesn't mean that all of it's removed in Mm -hmm. every circumstance. It can be as simple as removing only the breast tissue or as complex as removing tissue along with lymph nodes, lobes, and ducts. Now, the lobes and the ducts are what produce milk and carry it to the nipples to feed a child. However, biological women transitioning into trans men usually get what's called 
subcutaneous mastectomies, which only removes the tissue. And so the lobes and the ducts are still in place. Like that whole system even goes up under the armpit. So it's very invasive and, and it's a lot more complex than what you would think is like right there in the front. Yeah. So that's exactly why Trevor was still able to breastfeed after surgery. Now, this is problematic because one, it's clear that this individual was not made aware of what their transition surgery entailed. And we're seeing that a lot. That's why we are so concerned about these transition surgeries. And it's not only affecting adults who choose to get this done, it's affecting children Mm -hmm. whose parents are on board with allowing them to have these transition surgeries at an early age. Our concern for the lack of accountability and um, the lack of information from the medical community to individuals about this issue is, is a huge problem. It, but we could spend like a whole episode on yeah. that alone. Um, so that's one of the issues. The second is Trevor still has breasts. Um, he doesn't just have a chest, <laughs> like he actually has breasts. And let me explain that. <laughs> Even <laughs> if Trevor was a biological man, he would still have breasts. Mm-hmm. That's what the name is. So, so while we may not use that terminology, terminology socially very often when referring to that area on a man, it is still medically and biologically accurate. Like men can get breast, breast cancer. Yeah. And so... In the medical profession, it is extremely important to use those specific terms to pinpoint issues. What we're seeing here is a biased agenda from people who want to pressure the medical field into adopting general terms that could literally cost people their lives. Yeah. We talked about that in the episode you mentioned. We're seeing language become more politicized. And that doesn't work well when you're talking about science and medical terms and things that people's lives depend on. Yeah. So getting to the point that it actually, these terms actually devalue women, um, you know, breastfeeding is generally exclusive to biological women. Now there are rare disorders where men can lactate but it's not because they're pregnant and it's not because they're about to nurse a child. Um, Those are separate instances. Mm -hmm. Um, But for for this purpose, we're saying that it's exclusively to women to nurse their child. Kirsten and I both understand the value of womanhood when it comes to motherhood. Mm -hmm. And us being biological women, Um, We had the burden of pregnancy and labor, but there's, it's hard to explain, but there's something inherently special about being able to carry a child and to care for that child Mm -hmm. as a woman. Yeah. And it's really sad to see people like Trevor, who was born biologically a female, to not feel that she's enough of a woman to be who she is, but instead be a man, yet 
still have a desire to breastfeed. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that say about this state of our, of our, of our, not only our nation, but, but the world in terms of how women view themselves. For me, breastfeeding was in, incredibly empowering. And it was such a special time for me to bond with my little boy. Um, it just makes me sad for people like Trevor who, who can't just embrace. And I know that he thinks he's embracing who he probably truly thinks he is, but, but yet there's still something in him that wants to be that part of a female that, mm -hmm. that can breastfeed, that can nurse, that can nurture his child through that bond. Yeah, Kirsten, that you said that extremely well. The problem is, if you, if you don't think you have to worry about that kind of absurdity here, you can be more wrong. I mean, we're seeing a lot of those things unfold in language and policies and medical terminology. But one specific instance that is funny, but not funny, um, that happened earlier this year in Congress is that Speaker Pelosi pushed forward a rule change in the House to make all pronouns gender neutral. Now, the same day, the man who was asked to pray over the session ended the prayer with a man and a woman. And I'm sure most of you have seen that by now, mm -hmm. but what? Like, this is how ridiculous the narrative has gotten. Yeah. Amen has nothing to do with actual men, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it it's hard to take them seriously when they're saying things that sound like headlines from like The Onion or Babylon Bee. Yeah. And it, like, you actually like read that on the internet and you think, oh, that's not even real, but it is real. I know. And yeah, who wants to be in a society that's all the same? We're like right. gender neutral. I mean, that's where we're headed. Right. It's, it's just so interesting to me because yet at one, in, one, in one way, the left really wants to celebrate diversity, yet they want to wipe away all distinctions based on biology. And so we're just a woman and a man. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy involved. Mm -hmm like Democrats are still explicitly fighting for women's rights when the word woman or women is not even gender, gender neutral. Yeah. We're even seeing that in names of bills. So like we have the violence against women act. Mm -hmm. Are they going to make that gender neutral? Or are they still going to make it pertain to women? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. It's cherry picking. Yeah. So uh, speaking of you know, bills related to women. Let's talk a little bit about the Equal Rights Amendment and how, especially in view of the Equality Act and, you know, this gender ideology to kind of make the sexes all the same, um, how does the Equal Rights Amendment do that instead of actually promoting the rights of women? So we actually touched on the Equal Rights Amendment um, early on in season one. And if you haven't had a chance, to listen to those episodes yet, yeah, go back and listen, because the ERA is very pivotal of how we, um, how we view issues, how our organization was founded. Um, you can get a lot of sense of why we're still fighting against these kinds of bills. Mm -hmm. um, but in a nutshell, it would amend the constitution by make, making the sexes equal. So feminist groups have championed the ERA 
saying it would enhance women's empowerment by giving them even footing with men. However, equal doesn't mean that you can still enjoy your unique abilities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's lost on a lot of the narrative of these schools. Equal sounds good at first, but I'm not the same as as a man. And so now equals like, okay, maybe you're taking away some of my um, abilities as a woman. Yeah. Like you need a separate room to nurse your baby. Right. And just because men don't have that doesn't mean we're not equal. Right. Exactly. And, and we like our private spaces like that, Mm -hmm. whether it comes to bathrooms, locker rooms, shelters, women only shelters. We've already seen, um, these shelters being sued because they aren't allowing biological men in there. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother, Dora's box of issues. Yeah, let's just say that for another day. <laughs> uh, it would also um, force military women to go into the front lines. It would strip women only benefits, like we talked before, like WIC and women only grants. Um, it would also even enshrine abortion into the Constitution because men can't get pregnant mm-hmm. and they have no so called burden if they were you know, they were to get pregnant. We've seen states that have passed their own state equal rights amendment and then use that to uphold abortion in their state. Mm-hmm. So that's already happening. And we, we would see that if um, Congress were to pass it. Um, this originally began to move through the states in the 1970s and had a seven year deadline to be approved by 38 states. It ultimately failed, thanks to Phyllis Schlafly and <laughs> the truth. Yep. However, Congress is still trying to pass it. They introduced a resolution a couple years ago in the last Congress um, to retroactively eliminate this deadline. It passed the House the last time, and if they decide to move it forward again this year, they would have the votes to pass it to the Senate. Yeah. And this is this is a tricky um, amendment because you see some Republicans who are for it and you see some Democrats who are against it. And so people are all over the place on this and it, we can't guarantee that it won't pass uh, straight to the president's desk. Yeah. And we've already talked about the equality act and how that, that is very similar. Um, You know, if you really want to take a deep dive on the equality act, I really encourage you to not only go back and look at our social media from, um, this past week, but also go back and listen to our episode with Emily Cow. It's super informative. These issues are not going anywhere. In fact, they're probably knocking on your door. Um, I I just want to add one little tidbit about this and how gender ideology is really coming um, in the form of, of just cultural normalization. So this past week, Ryan T. Anderson's um, book Um, which is called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement, was unexpectedly taken off the shelves of Amazon, you know, the the virtual shelves, I should say. And Amazon never informed him. He He didn't receive any response as of yet as to why they took the book. And so, you know, we can't just help but wonder. This is their adherence to gender ideology. They are trying to help normalize this, especially with the House of Representatives moving forward the Equality Act. And so, you know, just like chest feeding, just like removing Ryan's book, 
this is just all a part of their plan to make everything gender neutral. And for us to accept that there are men who want to be women, who want to take up women's spaces, um, who want to take up what it means to be essentially a woman. And, and it's just really disheartening, but, to, but we can't get too disheartened because like I said earlier about the abortion stuff, I think that this is really firing up people up because not only does it affect women, it's ultimately affecting the life and the culture which we raise our children in. And people want their children to be raised in substantial truth. So that's, you know, that's where I'm putting my hope and I'm going to continue teaching my son the truth. I know Tabitha, you will too. So it, it's just, it is really disheartening, but we can't lose hope. Right. There's nothing to get people fired up more than it affecting your children. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that case, we want to leave you with some action items. And we, we say this stuff a lot. So you guys know like how to reach out to us and what to do to become involved, but we just want to repeat it. I mean, Jesus repeated himself a lot. So (laughs) we're going to do the same, Uh, but make sure you're caught up on our episodes this season and -hmm. following us on our social media accounts, because a lot of this season is being driven by what's actually coming down the pike in Congress this year. Um, there are so many issues that that are so relevant to right now, um, just like this sexual orientation, gender ide- ideology issue, or issues that pertain to life. Mm-hmm. Um, we like we're working hard, uh, besides the podcast, to you know talk to legislative staff and Congress and try to squash a lot of these bills. But the biggest voice comes from you guys. Yeah. When you reach out to your state representative or to your senator, your congressman, you're the one who can make the biggest difference. And, and let me give you an example of that. Uh, when we set up meetings with congressmen, we usually end up talking to their staff. It's, it's rare when we get a face-to-face meeting with our congressmen. When someone from their state reaches out, they are more than willing to have a face-to-face meeting with their constituents. And so you can make the biggest difference yeah. even beyond us. Um, that's why we want to put these tools in your hands. Mm-hmm. So um, with that being said, we want to keep you informed of what's coming down the pike and what's already happened. And, and the ways that we do that is we post um, our swamp beat on Mondays that tells you what's about to come down the pike throughout the week. Now things change and it may look different as the week rolls on. And I mean, we're not exactly cozy with some of the Democrat leadership. <laughs> so they're not like telling us directly what's coming down, but we get really good information from um, other staffers and, and congressmen. Um, and then on Thursdays, we do a live Capitol Hill update on Facebook. We we do it live, um, but it sticks around even after we do it live. So you can even watch it later. Um, but that fills you in on what has happened throughout the week as well. And then make sure you're signed up for our emails and alerts at eagleform.org. The quickest way to receive our alerts to reach out to your congressman about an issue, to receive all of these things in writing to even like have um, good resources. We, we have other people throughout Eagle Farm who write excellent articles, write excellent talking points. 
And so a lot, a lot of those things are sent out through that email list as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll be posting several resources and ways to engage throughout the week. So if you're listening to our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. <clears throat> you can find us on all of the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum. We're coming at you with a special segment. So are we are we for sure on Swamp Beat? I don't know. <laughs> I think it'd be cute. All right, so we're doing another Swamp Beat, Tabitha? Yep, here we go. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We're bringing you another Swamp Beat. The swamp has been pretty swampy this week. Um, <laughs> Congress took up the Equality Act and the COVID stimulus package. They are still working on their massive immigration bill. Now they are setting their sights on moving HR1 and beginning to work on gun control this week, just in case you haven't had your fill of government infringing on your rights yet. I'd also just have to say, I love how the swamp beat has really stuck around. (laughs) (laughs) I said it as a joke kind of, but you know, it's a perfect title for this beat. Oh yeah. Well, (laughs) when when things get really swampy, then it makes sense. (laughs) All right, so we want to give you a quick update about the two bills that passed at the end of the week. The Equality Act, H.R. 5, passed with only three Republicans voting for it. And it's sad that it did pass, but it was a much smaller margin than last time. Last time, we had eight Republicans that voted for the bill. So the COVID stimulus package also passed the House even without Hyde Amendment protections and with the national $15 minimum wage increase. But the Senate parliamentarian has already said that it would be against the rules to keep the $15 minimum wage in the Senate bill. At least that part is gone for now. We'll worry about that later. (laughs) But we also will let you know what the Senate decides to do with both of these bills in the upcoming weeks. Okay, now the week ahead. We had an entire episode dedicated to HR1 where Christian Adams joined us. He was very frank about how destructive this bill would be. But in a nutshell, it takes all of the things that you were concerned about last election and put it into federal law. So things like mail-in voting, censoring conservatives, ballot harvesting, just to name a few. Um, If HR1 is signed into law, it would be extremely hard to get conservatives elected. And we can't stress that enough. Exactly. It's such a terrible bill that is really biased towards the Democratic Party. Every single Democrat has co-sponsored this bill, if that tells you anything. And that's really a rare occurrence. Something else I want to point out is that there are organizations who are against this that aren't just conservative. For instance, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, came out against the bill because of the free speech infringements that are included. So we really have an opportunity for you to take action today by contacting your congressman to ask them to vote no on HR1, and we'll be sure to post that below. As far as immigration and gun control goes, these are two very divisive topics that even Democrats in their own party have a hard time agreeing on. There's already been a lot of infighting on what stays and what goes in the immigration bill, causing them to consider breaking it up into smaller bills. And then we can expect the same feelings around gun control. You know, Biden is itching to get both signed before the end of his first 100 days in office, but we think it would be very difficult for him to complete that task. Mm -hmm. 
And we like that because it gives us more time to have our voice on the hill. And we hope you are taking this news and becoming empowered to use your voice for the good of our nation. And that's it for this week's Swampy. We'll see you next time. See ya.